0: Hello and welcome into another edition of The Front Office. I'm Tony Lombardi. The Front Office is brought to you by Panacea Life Sciences. Discover the healing power of hemp. Shop at panacealife.com and use RSR code at checkout and get a 30% discount. Today we'll be talking about the Marquise Brown trade, a rarely but cleverly used tool employed by Eric DaCosta, which is the unrestricted free agent tender, We'll talk about the signing of Mike Davis, and we'll talk about a few other things that'll be of interest. But before I get into all that, I want to introduce my co-host Brian McFarland from Russell Street Report, our capologist. Brian, how are you?
1: Good, good. Tony, how are you today? Nice, nice day out there. Weather's finally turning for us. It looks beautiful
0: like. day. Yeah, beautiful day. But I, I, yeah, I got to rub it in a little bit. I just got back from Cancun. It was a perfect day every day. Yeah, and it was
1: a good week to be away too because it was kind of crappy. so yeah,
0: that's what I heard. A couple other topics I want to get into is the rumors with Jarvis Landry, as well as a trade that the potential trade that seemed work or would work out for the Ravens and a trading partner that you and I discussed previously. So we'll get into that as well. But before we get into all those topics, I just want to get your overall thoughts on the Ravens 2022 draft class.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was very happy with it. Uh, obviously, um, you know, we weren't we certainly probably weren't expecting the first two picks, even the third pick. Um But I think it, uh, you know, I think, you know, truly that was a truly best player available draft. And, you know, uh, fans go back and forth. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? But when you're getting that kind of talent at the spots they got to me, you know, uh, that's the long term thinking that I think makes teams better instead of reaching for a a potentially reaching for a position of need. Um, you know obviously Hamilton and we'll get into uh, you know his situation a little later but you know even if he uh, he's not missed, doesn't necessarily start this year he's going to see plenty of snaps for sure and obviously it sets him up to be a four-year starter after that with you know and uh, same with Linderbaum and um, uh, getting a job where they did uh, even if he doesn't uh, you know if he doesn't because I was thinking that was a place to trade back into the first round to get that uh, to get that fifth year option potentially. But obviously they had already tra- done some trading. So, uh, you know, but I think that's, uh, you know, he's a top 15 guy who most, you know, to, before the injury, he was kind of slated to the Ravens at 14. So to get him at 45 is, is pretty special, even if you don't get him, even if he's not 100 percent, you know, back till till next year. I think I, I you know and then the fourth round picks, I'm glad they used them all. I know people said they would never use them all, but um with Lamar's, whether it's going to be a franchise tag next year or year after as well or you know or they get him done finally done to a long term deal, that young talent that's going to be playing on rookie deals is 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 really important for him so i I was very pleased uh, the punter surprised me, but he was clearly the best punter and there was a little run right after that so um, a lot of teams obviously valued the punters in this draft.
0: You know, I really like the draft, and I'm a big proponent of taking the best player available. And, and what that means, in my opinion, and what I think it means for the Ravens, is you spend nine months preparing that board with all of the road trips and all the scouting, all the discussions with the coaches, the parents, everybody. And you prepare that board why wouldn't you stick to that board regardless of how it falls? Now, I know that Eric DaCosta has said on occasion that if the the board stacks up in a way that, let's say, the next two guys are different positions and one of them is a position of need, and maybe that position of need guy is ranked a little bit lower than the other guy that is not a position of need, they might still go with that position of need because they're ranked closer together. But, you know, from what I've been hearing, and maybe you have too, Brian, the Kyle Hamilton was a guy they had uh, as their fifth rank guy on the board. Yeah. I mean, he
1: was, you know, he was a top 10 guy for most teams. Obviously safety is not, uh, you know, a, a premium position. And I, i I've, they've taken some criticism for that with, when you take a safety in the center and clearly they've never invested in the center before they've invested a lot in safety over the years. And I think with today's passing game, when people say safety's a non-premium position, I'm not sure that's the case anymore when you've got the, the incredible tight ends that are around and things like that. Um, and the speedsters running through the middle of the field. So I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a top talent. Uh, if, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't run a little slowly at the combine, he, I'm sure he's long gone before 14.
0: Right. Right. And I Like what they did with the trading back twice or are they, they, they traded back at 23 to 25 to pick up that third-round pick that they lost in the Marquise Brown trade, and you know then they ended up using it for Tyler Lindenbaum, a position of need and a guy that they think is going to be a starter from day one. But I wanted to talk about how they got that 23rd pick in the draft, and it was a shocker to most people, the trade of Marquise Brown. Now, I know that several months ago, probably towards the end of the season, the 2021 season, Marquis scrubbed most of his Raven stuff from his social media accounts. And that was a telltale sign that he wasn't quite happy. And as we learned later on, Eric DeCosta's had several conversations with him since then and, and throughout the spring. And Eric just concluded that, you know, we don't want to have guys that don't want to be here. He said, maybe because I'm getting older and I'm mellowing out a little bit more. That I feel that way, but I really don't want to have guys here that don't want to be here, be part of the culture that we've, you know, created. So that trade, you know, I think Peter King summed it up best, Brian, when he said, "It's like buying a 2019 BMW for fifty-four thousand dollars, and then three years later, you went back to the dealer and he gave you a trade-in value of fifty-four thousand dollars for the for the uh, for the car, and so you had three years of use without any loss in value, and that's kind of how." He summarized, or that's the analogy he used to summarize this marquise brown trade
1: yeah i mean i yeah i it was i thought it was a good trade um i do and because it's happened obviously several times and obviously it's not been made public other than the orlando brown uh situation but i do it worries me uh, that Uh, you know other unhappy players are going to continue you know are going to maybe potentially use that as leverage against them well i'm not happy get rid of me you know and, and kind of force the ravens into situations but if it is kept under wraps like this was um other than the scrubbing of the social media um you know then i i think they can make that workable and get value but and obviously i assume if if they didn't get value they they would have not done it, you know, they would have said, Sorry, Marquise, you were, you know, we're keeping you around. Um, so uh, you know, that that's the only thing about it that, that worries me a little because they've, they've been very public, he's been very uh, DaCosta's been very public about that. I kind of like him to ratchet that back a little, maybe, um, because we don't want to set up situations in the future where. You know, players who aren't happy, or are, are you know, are a little not maybe. I mean, if you're unhappy, you're unhappy. But you know, just using that as leverage either for a new contract or trading somewhere else. Of course, that seems to be happening a lot more around the league. So maybe I shouldn't worry about that too much. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was great value. Um, you know, Brown on the um, fifth-year option next year is 13 million, which the way your wide receiver prices went through the roof is is, is kind of a bargain. But the question was, I mean, if he was, if he didn't want to be here and if nothing changed with the offense and his role in the offense, then he wasn't going to resign in two years. So you get value now. Um, obviously they have to figure out how to replace him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think overall, uh, you know, and uh, he, he was up and down and, you know, for a first round pick, you wanted to be a little more consistent uh, catching the ball, getting open. And, you know, I didn't, he was small, you know, and, and his running out of bounds and, you know, ducking, you know, immediately upon, you know, catching the ball as opposed to trying to get as many yards as possible. I know that didn't sit sit well with a lot of fans, myself
0: included. Yeah, that's, he's just a small guy. And when you see him on the sidelines, I don't even know that he measures up to his listed stats, you know, five, nine, whatever, 185 he just doesn't even look like he's that big but you know I I I come back to something you you touched upon Brian they kept it quiet and I think the professionalism with which they've handled this trade is outstanding not only from the Ravens perspective but from the Cardinals perspective from Marquise Brown's perspective his agent's perspective all that I just think it was really remarkable how they kept the lid on this and and Eric said that the trade was done a few days before the draft so I got to give those guys a lot of credit for doing it that way and the way they handled it. And, and if trades like this are going to happen and players are going to demand it, I know that Eric's pretty, you know, headstrong with, with the Ravens having to win the trade. And I think he thought he came away with a win. So they made the deal. It does leave them, as you said, with a need for a guy that can take the top off the defense from a receiver perspective. So it remains to be seen how they're going to handle that. We can talk about that a little bit later. But overall, I think a good trade. Uh, I think that the Ravens will miss hit that aspect of him in the offense. But, you know, they'll they'll probably replace that in some way, shape, or form. And, and Greg Roman in the offense is going to have to adjust. So, yeah, absolutely. With well, Moving on to the next topic, I, I want to talk a little bit about something that's rarely used but cleverly employed by Eric DeCosta this off season, and that is the unrestricted free agent tender. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about that, how it works, and who they used it on.
1: Yeah, so that's Justin Houston. Um, this is a thing uh, that has existed in the CBAs as far back as I remember. Um, it's rarely used. Um, now it used to be June first. Um, but then when they moved the, uh, the, the, comp pick deadline up, the comp pick deadline was all tied to this, this tender. It used to be the June 1st tender. Uh, now it's the, well, I call it out the, every year it changes cause it's the first Monday in May. So this year, I think that makes it the May 2nd tender. Um, so it's always been there, but it's been rarely used. And, and there's several reasons for that. But if you think back to last year at, right after the draft, Um, You know, it was it was pretty much known that the Ravens were going to sign Alejandro Villanueva um, after the quote unquote after the draft. Well, it wasn't really about after the draft. It was after the the deadline that that Monday after the draft, that first Monday in May. um, So that so that there wouldn't be a comp pick. Now, the Steelers turned around and given him this tender, the Ravens probably wouldn't have signed him um i remember many years back There were right i um uh, trying to remember so it was a place kicker from the Bengals that the ravens signed um it was the year it was it was tucker's rookie year and i can't remember the, the kicker's name hmm. but they waited to sign him till after june 1st because the Bengals, um because of the comp picks and, and to wait out the Bengals and make sure they didn't uh use the, the what back then June 1 tender so there is the history of it usually you hear about it the other way teams waiting uh, but that's what this was about um, so here you know here we get to uh, Justin Houston and what this tender does is it, it keeps the Ravens prospects for a comp pick alive because of this tender um, and also it, it sets somewhat of a deadline for Houston to sign a contract with another team well does set a deadline so how they came up with this number but I guess July 22nd is right before teams generally report their first teams report to training camp so if if he is not signed with another team by June 22nd he can't sign with another team he has to sign with the Ravens or not play I guess Um, and this tender amount that he receives is 110 percent of last year's salary which is which is the key to this um, because usually when a free agent is in the last year of his deal, it's usually a bigger number. Villanueva, for instance, as I mentioned earlier, had the Steelers given him the tender, his, his salary was like $8 million the prior year. So that would have been close to $9 million. And that's why teams rarely use this because of that amount because the player can turn around and sign it immediately. And then you're stuck with it, um, whether you want it or not. If so, if you're trying to play the comp pick game, so to speak, the risk there is that the player you really don't want anymore, but you're just trying to, you know, milk a comp pick out of, turns around and sides the tender, and you're kind of stuck. And then you're stuck with him. Um, so, so that's that's the that's the the um, the way it works. He could still sign with another team. And, you know, that's it. That's it for the Ravens. You know, but if he if he and the Ravens can still negotiate a better deal with him. But at two point two eight three million dollars, uh, it's a great bargain for him. And last year was a great bargain already. And the reason and the reason he was so cheap was because, of course, because of the pandemic. And a lot of the free agents that didn't sign in that first wave had to really sign very minimum deals. And, of course, he waited a long time uh, because I guess he didn't sign even until August or or late, late July, perhaps. So, you know, so that's why, I mean, that's why the same with, with Ingram, of course he signed with the Steelers and then was waived and picked up by Kansas city, but they had, they picked up the contract. So, um, so they were able to do the same thing. His is a little more expensive than Houston's, but, um, you know, for a, a valuable veteran edge rusher, I mean, obviously he's not in his prime anymore, but for a guy that's, you know, good by all reports, a good leader. Uh, you know, it, it really made a lot of sense. You just, it's just something you just, you just generally don't see. But it's, I'm sure Houston's not particularly happy with it because if some team is trying to protect a comp pick, they're less interested in signing him. So, um, but yeah, I mean, all in all, I think it's a great pick and it's a value. Um, and you know, after the draft, that they drafted, you know, uh, for instance, they drafted Johnson in the first round at 25. Who's healthy and ready to go? They may not have done this, but because uh, they drafted a jabo in you know in the in the second round, and you know uh, they're, they're going to be without him for at least half of the season, likely. You know, then th- this certainly makes sense, and and for the you know for the relative bargain price, I mean for the bargain price, uh, it, it kind of a no brainer, really.
0: Right. The, the, the stars aligned for the Ravens, but they lined against Justin Houston in this case, for sure. So moving on, I wanted to talk about another, well, not another signing, but a signing by the Ravens, Mike Davis, running back, played for the Panthers last year, played for the Falcons. He's, He's a productive north and south guy. He's got a little juke in his game. He runs with power and seems to be a guy that would fit the Ravens offense, much like a Gus Edwards would. Now, I think that most Ravens fans probably looked at this as a peculiar move, but, you know, the way I look at it, Brian, it's they aren't certain of the health of J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards or even Justice Hill. And as a result, they don't want to find themselves in this predicament that they found themselves in last year when they had to go to the scrap heap and get some running backs that had to adjust to their system on the fly. They'd rather have guys in camp. And I think Mike Davis, you know, it all comes down to the numbers all the time, Brian, you know, when you make a, a move like this that seemingly doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface, but when you look into it, It does. But talk about the numbers that the Ravens signed him to, and why this deal is beneficial for the Ravens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you hit all the the, the reasons why. You know that, um, you know, last year they had to go to the scrap heap from players that nobody wanted anymore. I'm not saying there's a big market for Davis, but they can get him in here now, and the contract is a veteran minimum contract, which is basically the same thing. Um, uh Freeman signed last year. Um, so you know, it it's it's really no different. It's the minimum, basically a minimum deal. It affected their cap by a couple hundred thousand dollars um because of the way the rule of fifty one works. So uh, you know there's there's basically nothing to it and you know um it's it, like you said it just gets them in here it gets them into the system and they get to pick you know they can pick which running back they want now as opposed to who's left in all you know in late August. So, and you know, and you got to f- factor in too that in training camp, they're going to be there's not you know, there's they're, they're not going to be putting Edwards and, and Dobbins out there constantly in preseason, they may not play at all. Um, They don't want to you don't want to uh, burn Tyler Batty out running left and right, you know, all the time in in, in the preseason as well, considering college players aren't used to the same, you know, uh, the grind that the the professional players are. So I whether whether he ends up just, you know, they run him into the ground in the preseason and the guys are healthy. And it's thanks very much. Uh, You know, I I think I think it's just being proactive um, where they they learned they kind of got to learned their lesson is the right way to put it. I mean, you can't expect those kind of injuries, all three of your top guys to go down, but this, this is just, he's in the system. Apparently he's a great blocker as far as picking up the blitz. He's good. He's good catching the ball. So if one of the three isn't ready, maybe somebody's, you know, uh, you know, somebody's got to go on PUP to start the year. Then you got that veteran presence. And even if he's only on on the team for a half a year, it's, not, it's certainly not costing it from a cap perspective at all.
0: Right. Really good value deal and fills a need and better to be proactive than reactive, like they, ha- they were forced to be last year. So, before we go into the discussion with Jarvis Landry and, and a potential trade partner for Chuck Clark, I-, I wanted to mention our sponsor, Panacea Life Sciences. As everyone knows, last season the Ravens were crushed by injuries, but even those players didn't miss, even those players that didn't miss time they still had to deal with aches and pains. And just like the weekend warriors out there who are listening, who play softball, basketball, racquetball, tennis, flag football, golf, the list goes on. Instead of things like ibuprofen and acetaminophen and other over-the-counter pain relievers, I've begun to use CBD products from Panacea because they work. Pain management is crucial to performance from the NFL to the amateur athlete. And CBD products are so beneficial, non-addictive, and less expensive than big pharma products and over-the-counter meds, without the side effects, and they do not get you high. Panacea is offering our listeners a 30% discount by using discount code RSR at checkout when visiting panacealife.com. It's P-A-N-A-C-E-A life.com. If you have any questions, please call 1-800-985-0515. That's 1-800-985-0515. Oh, and one last thing. They also have amazing products for ailing pets. So keep that in mind when reaching out to Panacea. Panacea Life Sciences, CBD products that work. I'm Tony Lombardi with Russell Street Report. Brian McFarland from Russell Street Report also is joining me, and this is the front office. Brian, before we took this little short break, we talked about Jarvis Landry and the rumors that are floating all around about Jarvis Landry. Now, I, I didn't. I do want to get into what you think it might cost to sign Jarvis Landry because there have been some reports, I think it was Ian Rappaport said, that he refused a one-year deal from the Browns. There are others that say the Browns never offered him a deal, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But just from a, a complementary receiver perspective, what is your take if the Ravens do, in fact, land Jarvis Landry? Yeah, I mean, I, he's
1: in some ways is a good fit. In some ways, he's not. Uh, y- you would like to have a veteran uh, around. Um, he's certainly a guy who's a, uh, you know, a technician um obviously I think we all all most Ravens fans are very happy with the you know the wide receiver coaches um but they you know there's certainly something a veteran wide receiver could pick up that you know the others haven't or you know that they don't notice and you know so he could really help these young wide receivers out um he's not a an ideal uh Hollywood Brown replacement though he's not certainly not a burner um he's more he's a slot I would Pretty much think he's the slot guy at this point in his career not that he can't play out wide but i think the majority of the time he you know he would be in the slot now brown came out of the slot a lot last year too but it was obviously a different dynamic so um yeah i'm not i'm certainly not against it i do think he's the best wide receiver out there as far as a veteran wide receiver Julio jones is too bagged up um will fuller will fuller yes yeah. before yeah Will Fuller is probably, uh, from a skill set, the right guy um, because of the speed. But, I mean, he, he, he's, he's more injury-prone than these days than, than Julio Jones is. So I don't think after last year and, and you know, going through the Sammy Watkins um, situation as well, you know, a guy that's, you know, always hurt and stayed that way with the Ravens, even though he had some really big catches. So, I, I, you know, I think unless there's a trade out there, um, you know, I, Landry, as far as the free agents, is the best out there. Now, what he's looking for, I mean, at early reports where he was looking for huge money. Now, obviously, the market hasn't, hasn't borne that. I saw something that said Cleveland did offer him only the minimum, which uh, that would shock me. Uh, that just seems like a slap in the face. Like you're better off turning around and you know, not offering him anything. Uh, and just saying we're moving on, which is ultimately what they did once they drafted a couple of receivers. So I don't know. It's, I mean, whatever deal he gets with whoever he gets, I'm sure it's going to be incentivated. Um, I'd have to go back and look at his stats last year. I think he missed some time last year. So, um, you know, I think uh, you could put t- put together a decent incentive package, but I- I'm guessing, you know, four to five million a year, perhaps. Obviously, you can structure that, that, you know, have that low first uh, first year and then figure out figure it out next year, depending upon how he does and how the young receivers do. Um, You know, but right now, you know, there's not a lot of cap space out there for teams. So maybe it's even less than that. But, you know, certainly seems like, um, you know, if he wants to go to a contender, we're probably one of the best places, you know, his best opportunity. Although, you know, as we've discussed before, you know, a wide receiver in this offense isn't necessarily a great opportunity either. So, um, but for as far as a contender goes, we're probably the best option out there.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of Jarvis Landry joining that receiving core from the perspective that you mentioned, his leadership skills, the fact that he's a great route runner, he's dependable, he's a chain mover. he, He advances the ball after the catch. And he even has some gadgetry attached to him with the, the ability to throw the football. I think he's even a left-handed thrower. So the, I, I like the way, you know, I, I like him on the team and, and he plays a lot like a Raven. He's, he's a willing blocker in the running game because we've seen that with, with Cleveland's ground attack. So for all those reasons, I like him. I just don't know that he's a complimentary guy in, in the sense that he doesn't provide a skill set that isn't already on the team. Now, I know those receivers that the Ravens have aren't as accomplished as he is, But he is, you know, getting up there in age and, you know, his best days are behind him. But we've also seen, Brian, when the Ravens have brought in guys just like this in I won't call it the November of their career, but I'll call it the September of their career. And they've they've given the Ravens three good seasons. And I see no reason why he couldn't be that guy. I just think there's there's got to be a guy that stretches the field, a guy that keeps the defense honest that they don't all collapse on guys like Mark Andrews. And so it it takes away some of the real estate that he can navigate. So I think a guy that top take the top off the defense kind of guy is the kind of guy that they need. And you and I discussed a guy like this that could be available in a trade. But before I, I, I talk about that player, I want to talk about what the Ravens might trade to get this player. Now, we've seen that Kyle Hamilton was their first pick in the draft, 14th overall. They invested $70 million in Marcus Williams. And I know that's just a contract money, but they invested a significant amount of money to bring old Marcus Williams to be that center fielder. So they basically got two guys that can cover a lot of real estate in that back end now. And the odd man out looks like it's Chuck Clark. And just as Marquise Brown scrubbed his Raven stuff from his social media, so apparently has Chuck Clark. So if that is any indication – Chuck Clark might not be pretty, uh, too happy with the situation as it's played out so far. So, if Chuck Clark is a trading piece, the guy, in my opinion, and we've talked about this, that would be the ideal coach for him is a guy that's already coached him, and that is Wink Martindale for the New York Giants. And the Giants just happen to have a receiver who runs a four three nine forty, Marquise Brown ran a four three five forty. Who has really fallen down the depth charts for the Giants? His name is Darius Slayton, who had a, a good rookie season as a fifth round pick, had a pretty decent second year. He fell off last year because of his, you know, falling down the depth chart. But he's a guy that could be had. I, I think from a player perspective, if, if the Giants perceive they have a need at safety and the Ravens have a seat a needed receiver, that could match up. But let's talk about if they do think that those players are, are a fair value as in terms of their performance on the field, let's talk about what it means financially. If that swap were to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all in all, it seems like a pretty good fit. Um, you know, uh, Martindale was the guy, I don't know if you want to call it discovered Chuck Clark, but you know, had the faith in him and obviously the Ravens organization in general, but I know a lot of us were, you know, when, when, um, you know, when all of a sudden he became a starter, when Tony Jefferson got hurt, I think a lot of people were, you know, he was a six-round pick. He hadn't played much, and the team obviously expressed a lot of confidence in him, and, you know, he, he showed that they had every right to do that. So, um, so Martindale would seem like the, the perfect place for him, um, and, and, and Slayton seems like the, the perfect guy to come back uh, in that he's in his, he'll be going into his last year of his deal As you said, he's down there. He's down on their depth chart now. They drafted, I think they drafted one or two wide receivers this year. Um, So, I mean, all in all, it certainly seems like a a a good fit. And financially, it's it's almost a perfect fit. Now they would have to make the deal, and this may be why there's not a whole lot to talk about it, because uh, in order for the Ravens to to make the cap savings work the best, they would have to do it after June 1st. that's a little more difficult for the Ravens because you don't have them here during many OTAs. I guess they have some a little bit in early June, uh, but obviously for for Clark going to Martindale's defense, they're not worried about that because he know he knows the defense better than anybody out there, probably, pretty much. So, um, but money wise, uh, if it's after if a trade happened after June first it clears 2.5 million off the Ravens, um, uh, for Clark and it would add 2.54 million, uh, for Slayton coming in. So, I mean, it's, you know, they take, they pick up an extra, uh, 40,000, you know, so it's it certainly, um, it's certainly a, uh, you know, a, a very doable situation, um, uh, from a cap perspective and it, it, it almost, it, it makes too much sense not to happen, but of course that's probably why it won't, but you know, <laughs> And and obviously it depends on, you know, if the if the Giants see him as and obviously I would have to assume to would be on his side, but whether they as an organization feel like Clark would be a good fit for them. Uh, But as opposed to a, you know, a a sixth round pick or, you know, something like that, uh, a viable deep threat who could help immediately seems like a great opportunity for the Ravens.
0: Yeah, it does sound like a good fit all the way around. Maybe that's why he scrubbed the Ravens from his social media. We'll see. But June 1st or or June 2nd, I guess, is the key date for them to wait for us to sit back, wait, and see. But if they pull the trigger on Jarvis Landry by that time, who knows what'll happen? But that brings us right to you know what can the Ravens really afford? And, And I think right now is a good time to talk about. Something that you've been trying to drive home on local talk radio and on our podcast and on our website, and that is effective cap space. And I think it bears repeating, Brian. What does effective cap space mean?
1: Yeah. So uh, effective cap space is how is taking into account future expenses um, and then figuring out what what they have to actually spend, so that when you get to you know, September, uh, your know, first game of the season, whatever, whatever the date that will be, um, you know, have they paid for everything? Um, and you know, because there are things that are, you know, expenses like the practice squad and having a, you know, an, an in-season, uh, injury replacement fund, um, the, the end of the rule of 51 means instead of the 51 top cap numbers counting now, the roster is 53. So 52 and 53, cost you money um and then, you know they they were they are one of the teams that use that practice squad elevation every week those two players you can pull up off the practice squad that that's more money um so you know so that's expense as well so effective cap space is not okay we have about 5.6 million presently but okay so that you know a lot of fans are, okay well we've got a little money to spend well That is earmarked for other things, really. So you've got to look at where they are, what options they have to create space. And then, you know, and they do because they haven't really done anything other than the releases they've made so far. Um, And the trade of Boykin, which was the most recent, they really haven't, um, you know, they haven't restructured any contracts yet. They haven't extended any contracts yet. And maybe that's that part's not going to happen. But um, but there are some other releases, uh, trades or releases. Uh, that can happen. That they can create cap space. So if you look at where they are now, that 5.6. Um, now that that takes into account the um, uh, Justin Houston's 2.283. Um, that's counting on the cap now. If he signs somewhere else, they're going to get that cap space back. So, uh, but right now, those other expenses, if, you know, leaving if, if Houston's here under that 2.283. Um, there are other expenses. They're 10 million in the hole. Um, but that, Cause that's that we still have to account for the draft picks that need to be signed. Um, the, those two players to that add that, that 52 and 53 players to get to the 53 man roster. That's 1.4 million. The practice squad is $3.5 million worth of cap space. Um, and then you've got your, you know, your roughly teams like to carry, you'd like to have 5 million for injury replacement. Uh, During the season, that was clearly not enough last year, but most years that should be enough. And those practice squad elevations could cost you, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand on the cap too, if you use them every week. So, you know, so right now, you know, they're, they need, they wouldn't just to, just to cover those things, they need to create $10 million. Um, So when you're talking about we, we can get Clowney, we can get Landry, you know, we can get Bradbury, who we didn't talk about, you know, um, you know, we we got enough cap space to make all this happen because we haven't we haven't restructured anybody or done any of those moves. Well, they haven't done that they haven't needed the cap space yet. But you know, that's stuff that that's stuff that you know that, that they know they they're going to do at some point. They don't need it yet, but that's really just to get them through the season, to get them to get them to have to be ready to go for the season and then through the season to handle injuries. So um, you know, uh, they've got, I don't think they have three or four moves in them. They have, and obviously the prices for these guys have, are coming down. But, um, you know, I don't think Clowney's happening if, if Houston's here. Now, if Houston signs where else, somewhere else, then maybe Clowney comes back in if he's still out there, um, you know, on the market. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's where they are. They, they've got options. Humphrey, you know, they haven't restructured Humphrey yet. They haven't restructured Zeitler yet. Those are no-brainers to me. Um, that's close to not, that's over 9.5 million. Mark Andrews is another, uh, you know, 1.8. Um, he's in the first, he's in the second year of his deal now. So there's no, no real great harm in doing that. Um, you know, and then Ben Powers is still here. He could be traded or released Sam cook, same thing. And Chuck Clark, same thing. So, you know, those guys, if the, if those three things, if those six things, I'm sorry, happened they would have five, they basically have what they have now in available cap space. Got so that would, that would clear out all of their, um, you know, their coming, uh, upcoming expenses and give them about 5.7 to truly spend. And that's the effective cap space. But their effective cap space right now is really a negative 10 million. Um, but obviously, that, again, they, they have the moves to make so they can get there to make money to sign one or, you know, bring one or two guys in. Um, And of course, then there's still, I don't think it's going to happen. doesn't sound like it's going to happen, but if they get Lamar in here and lock him in the room (laughs) during OTAs until they get him to agree to a deal, um, you know, then that would create cap space. Uh, Peter's extension would create cap space, but since it hasn't happened, I don't know that it will. Um, And then they, they would still have the, The other big one they have is Ronnie Stanley, which could create uh, about 6.4 in uh, available cap space by restructuring him. I don't think you want to do that unless you have to, but that's a good amount of cap space they can carry into the season. So if they do have a rash of injuries and he's looking healthy, they could always restructure during the season Um, or if they want to trade for somebody before the trade deadline and everything's looking, you know, positive with his recovery and his playing, then, you know, that's – I think that's one they hold in the bank um, for, for, you know, for later, and they can always, um, you know, they can always, if everything is lining up right, uh, use that if they need it. Um, but so I don't, I don't think you're going to see that happen. But – so they do have, uh, you know, they. I mean, you know, you got to question whether Cook's going to be here. You don't draft the punter in the fourth round um to now maybe he's contemplating retirement you know uh, there's it's been very mum on that I I can't imagine I I don't know that it's I mean he's if if, if they keep him through training camp unless he gets injured and that that would be that would be problematic for them um you know somebody's going to sign him if they cut him or trade him I mean somebody you know he's somebody there's going to be a market for him unless he looks terrible in training camp and even then, there's probably a market for him just based on his history. So, um, you know, it's not too dangerous to carry him at the camp, but you kind of wonder, does that make sense? You know, or do you want to cut him now or try to trade or work with him to find a place for him that he wants to go who might be a trade partner and get something back? So, but that's money that's going to be there. Clark, you know, they're saying all the right things about him being here, but it seems pretty obvious that if he wants playing time that – and that he could have some value to them in a trade that they might be able, that they'll move him. Powers is the nice, you know, depth guy, but, you know, ultimately based on who they, you know, their draft and where he is on the depth chart, perhaps, you know, maybe, maybe he's a guy, you know, they got, they were able to get, they were able to get decent value out of uh, Bredesen last year. So, you know, maybe they can pull something off like that with him, but if not, I got to think he's, you know, he's a candidate to be cut at some point.
0: Now, with Sam Cook, I did hear Eric DaCosta recently say that we will be hearing something in the over the course of the next several weeks. So it sounds like they have a plan in place, but maybe they just want to wait for some reason. And he's only got one year left on his deal, so a June one isn't gonna make any difference, right? Yeah, correct.
1: Yeah. So that it's that it's not a cap reason. Um, it could be that maybe he is thinking about retirement. I mean that that's what it sounds. I, I hadn't heard that part of uh, uh, Costa statement, but that sounds to because we're not going to they're not going to trade him if he's going to retire. So maybe he's you know may and maybe that's maybe that's been going on all along. You know that he was considering retiring and they're just giving him the chance. But they you know um, but and maybe you know he might be a guy I, I don't want to go anywhere else. I yeah,
0: just want to I, think, yeah I, I just think that they hold him so – he's so highly regarded within the organization, and I've heard Eric talk about him as he doesn't know that there's a more professional player that's ever been on that Ravens roster. So I, I know they, he, they hold him in high regard, and I think they would treat him with the utmost class. So I think he's part of this plan, and for whatever reason, whatever is going to be announced in the next few weeks – it's, it's been in the works for a while, much like the, you know, the Hollywood Brown thing. So I give them credit for keeping those a lid on those things and doing it at the appropriate time. Brian, are you going to be doing an update on the effective cap space on Russell Street Report? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I've got the chart I always put together. Uh, I'm, um, there are a couple of things. Uh, well, we have the Mike Davis numbers now. Obviously, the draft pick's coming in. Um, so, yeah, I, I've got to put that together because, you know, especially now when, you know, we, we could sign this guy and you you know if it's a post draft who's left and what, what do we need what holes do we need to fill and it's kind of important to keep this in mind that um, you know that, that there isn't a whole lot of cap space available without an extension you know I mean they get a Lamar extension and we're not worried about any kind of cap space right. you know um, and if they were there to extend Peters that gives them some of the cushion they you know they can keep Powers around if they want. You know it's a, a reasonably, you know, not an expensive backup, but a, you know a, a guy that if you've got the cap space, you probably would keep him. Uh, but if you need the cap space, you might move. You might move on. So same with Clark. If they have plenty of cap space, there's no reason to trade him. You keep him around for depth and and for what he can do as far as his knowledge and things like that. But when you need cap space you know, you might, you might need to move him, And obviously if they can get a guy like Slayton, then that's a, you know, that's a, that's a win-win for everybody.
0: Right. And you know, as soon as you update this effective cap space chart, they're going to make a move, make you do it again. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's always the way. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian, thanks for your time. As always the front office cool. is brought to you by Panacea Life Sciences, discover the healing power of hemp shop at Panacea life.com use code RSR at checkout and get a 30% discount. Brian, I would appreciate if you follow us on Twitter. I'm at RSR Lombardi, and Brian is at Raven Salary Cap. And please be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for li- listening to The Front Office.